Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Nori with you. Let me tell you about Joe Diamond. He may look like just a normal guy, but he has uh, turned his fascination for the strange and mysterious into a full-time career. He is even a world record holder for solving the world's largest corn maze. I'll tell you about that in a second. Blindfolded. He even hacked the Pentagon on live radio. (laughs) Ask him about that, huh? He's the longest artist in residence at the Dole Mansion in Crystal Lake, Illinois. He's the official mind reader at the very luxurious Maxwell Mansion in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And both of those places are indeed haunted. Joe, welcome to the program. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you very much, George. This is a dream come true to be on Coast to Coast. I I, I appreciate the invite and can't wait to, to dive into it tonight. I came... Uh, to find out that you were highly recommended by a guest of ours who'll be on next week, Varla Ventura. She thinks the world yep. of you. And I've been getting emails all day today, so I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Varla's, uh, Varla's a sweetheart. I I invited her to be on. I, I hosted a radio show a couple of years ago, and I invited her to come on, and we instantly hit it off, and it was one of those. It was like that uh, that meme, you know, did we just become best friends? And that was, that was her and me uh, to a T. Well, good. Before we even get into how you got interested in the paranormal, tell me about this world's largest corn maze. Where was it? And explain what a corn maze is to folks. So uh, it's in the Midwest. It is in Spring Grove, Illinois. Uh, If anyone has seen the movie uh, Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, that was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, where I was born. Uh And last year's Jeep commercial, uh, when Bill Murray came back to Woodstock to film for that, when he's uh, trudging through the snow with the groundhog, uh, they're filming on the Richardson Farm uh, land for that. So uh, they have the claim to fame for having the world's largest corn maze. Every year it's a different pattern. Uh, certain years it's uh, dedicated to U.S. presidents for their uh, for their birth uh, um, anniversaries of their birthdays. They had it uh, the year the Cubs won the World Series. They had it uh, Cubs themed, and I solved it in 2010. Uh, blindfolded. Now, technically, my record is for the shortest time, whether I'm blindfolded or not. As far as, I'm sh- as, far as I know, no one else has attempted it blindfolded. But my, uh, my time was two hours and 50 minutes, and that year the maze was uh, 11.1 miles of trail that spanned over 38.8 acres. And the cl- second closest time to anyone else who has even solved it is by about 45 minutes to an hour. So, so technically, my record is for solving it, whether I was blindfolded or not. But I did have, I was indeed blindfolded. I had a reporter from the local newspaper with me every step of the way. And she held uh, onto my wrist, and I led the way and tried to uh, read her mind through Hellstromism, also known as contact mind reading. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with uh, techniques like that. And I also tried to solve the maze in my head at the same time as we went through to all 24 checkpoints and got through the last five checkpoints in a matter of just about 15 minutes. So that was my first big uh, claim to fame a couple years ago. And after that, I was on uh, WGN News and got on radio, and it kind of was uh, the launching pad for my career. How in the world, Joseph, did you get through this blindfolded? How do you do this? Contact mind reading is uh, a technique that's been around for a long, long time. Uh, performers did it a lot in uh, the pre-vaudeville eras in mind reading shows and mind reading demonstrations. Uh, modern 
uh, workers of it include people like the amazing Kreskin and also a wonderful, uh, wonderful mind reader who does a lot of corporate and uh, college work. Uh, Christopher Carter is a modern master of it, and he has very graciously uh, taught me some of his ins and outs of it. And uh, I didn't know him at the time when I was learning this. I was all kind of self-taught. Who knows, with his help, I may have gotten through it even quicker. So the idea is that um, anyone who's used a pendulum or a Ouija board, it basically... I'm, they're holding on to my wrist. They're thinking about where they want me to go, kind of like a remote control. And I'm trying to feel out where they want me to go without them saying anything. And so very much like, you know, if I'm kind of like a human planchette. If they think about me going to one direction, I'll go in that direction. Or a human pendulum. If they think about me going dead ahead, I'll go dead ahead. And so that's the way I kind of, you know, felt my way through, but also kind of had to track and figure out what the best path was uh, in, in that amount of time. And uh, I've done it a couple times since then. In fact, last year, uh, <laughs> I went with my uh, fiancé, now wife, and we were with her family. Congratulations. And you could solve it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we got married on Friday the 13th. Actually. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, so she, uh, uh, she and I were going through, and her parents gave me a little bit of grief, like, are you going to solve this any quicker? I was like, I think uh, think we'll just have fun today. And right at that moment, I just stopped, and everyone stopped with me. And I looked down, and there was a $5 bill right at my feet. So <laughs> technically, I was like, okay, this is, this is two times I've won in this maze. <laughs> so we'll see if I ever go back a third time. Well, that's, that's amazing. So you have this mind feeling as you maneuver through this maze, and you made it through. Yep. That's yep. that's that's yep. something. Now you also hacked into the Pentagon without a computer, <laughs> so you're not quite Edward Snowden. But what no, what did no. you do? How did you do this? So what happened was on a local uh, radio station in Kenosha. I was dared on one of their morning uh, show programs. I was on to talk about Halloween things and everything. And someone, one of the hosts, dared me to get their iPhone code. Uh, this was in 2015, I believe. And I had them think about it digit by digit, and I unlocked it. And you can actually find that footage uh, on YouTube and at my website, joediamondlive.com. And so the next time I went on, they replayed that clip. And this was later in 2016, and we took a call, and it wasn't from a, a call, it wasn't from an area code that was nearby. We could all kind of see the screen in the, in the studio there. It wasn't one of the local area codes, so we were like, okay, maybe it's a cell number or something. Uh, I, I've changed the name in the story for reasons we'll get to in a moment, but uh, they answer the phone. It's a woman, and she says, hi, my name is Susan. I'm calling from the Pentagon. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a prank Whoa. caller. I pull up my phone and type in the, the phone number, and sure enough, it's the phone number for the Pentagon. Oh, my gosh. And she says, so, so the host has a couple, a little bit of banter with her, and she goes, I want to talk to the mind reader guy who, who guessed Emily's iPhone last time. And I'm like, hi, Susan, I can hear you. And she says, Joe, uh, do you need to be in the same room with someone in order to do that? Now, to give you some context for this, George, this was right when the FBI and Apple computers were in the news every day mm -hmm. about whether or not to uh, unlock a terrorist cell's iPhone. Uh, this, was, this was the top news at the time. That's when this happened. And so I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I want our 
be honest, but at the same time, I don't want the white vans coming for me after this, you know? Exactly. So I, I, I won't lie, I, I downplayed it a little bit, and I just, uh, I just had her think of a simple playing card. I was like, well, a code would be really complicated, and I do have to talk to the person at least. So um, I took a card out, I put it face down on the table. Uh, I always remember I had her think of a card, put it face down on the counter, had her, uh, before she named the card she was thinking of, I told her, now, Susan, you're thinking of a card which is in your uh, in your mind, and you're in the most secure building on the planet, right? She's like, oh, yeah, definitely. I was like, well, think about this. This card's only in your mind, which is the most secure place in the universe. She said, yeah, that's accurate. I said, my card's on the table. I can't change my mind. What, uh, what card do you have in mind? She said, two of diamonds. The host turned it over to make sure it was legitimate. And it was, in fact, the two of diamonds. And the rest of the day, the host kept saying, Joe, Joe Diamond hacked the Pentagon. Joe Diamond hacked the Pentagon. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, now the white bands are going to uh, come for me. Well, here's the big twist to that story, George. I, as I mentioned earlier, at the time had a, uh, had a radio show of my own that broadcast out of that same building. That's how I knew these radio hosts and how I got booked for that particular show. And so I was, you know, I was used to coming in, uh, and doing my show and then pulling the footage for my, uh, for my radio uh, program. So I was thinking, like, oh, my God, when I come in on Sunday, I'm going to come in and I'll also pull the audio from this because this is career-making stuff. This is, this is on the level of solving the world's largest corn maze blindfolded. You know, and this, I've got the audio footage of it. Everything is backed up in the, in the station and everything. And I don't know if I should say this, George. There's so far no one. I love everyone on staff, but no one can explain why this happened. But I went in on Sunday and went into the uh, archives, and that complete hour of that radio program was missing from the archives. Oh wow! So there is no record of it. However, thousands of people did hear it live, and the host did experience it live and remember it very well. So I do have thousands of, of witnesses who experienced it and heard it for real, even though there's no footage. What was it, Joe, that got you interested in the paranormal? Uh, short answer, Ghostbusters, but longer answer, a, a lot of stuff. I was, I was a weird kid growing up. I, <laughs> I was, uh, my poor mom, she, she woke up one morning. I was sitting there already having my breakfast. She's not even in a coffee pot yet. And I just looked at her and went, Mom, how do they make liquid nitrogen? I have an idea for something. And she hasn't even made it to the coffee pot, this poor woman. She's right. Uh, so I was a weird kid in general. I, uh, I was a ghostbuster for Halloween. I, I read The Invisible Man when I was like seven on a family trip. And I went to the library and read books on everything from ghosts and UFOs and crop circles. And the great thing about metaphysical books in the library is that they have big words in them. So by the time I got to second grade, I had a 12th grade reading level, which, which sounds impressive, George, but I still have a 12th grade reading level. I, I <laughs> uh, but I, I, got, uh, I got interested in everything from palm reading to dream interpretations. Uh, my uncle got me a magic set. And at the time, I, I didn't see it as something that was like related. I mean, there's you know, magic and the paranormal has always had a, a very interesting history and an interesting relationship. But like, I had a very religious family too. So if I like wanted to read what the Four of Diamonds meant in Cardamancy, that freaked them out. But if I had them think of a card and guessed it, they didn't think it was mind reading. They thought it was just a card trick. So I was like, okay, so this is kind of a, 
a fun art to kind of low-key work on this stuff for real. Because, again, I went to 12 years of Baptist school, and uh, actually at one uh, school trip I had my cards taken away from me because they said, you know, these these are satanic and they shouldn't be even at the, the mm-hmm. convention of these schools. They took the playing cards away from me. And then the rest of the week, I just uh, read minds and started bending cutlery in the <laughs> in the in the cafeteria. And yeah, it was it was all all a whole bunch of stuff. I was the I was the one weird kid who read uh, ghost stories. I actually, when I read about Orson Welles, who also is from Woodstock, Illinois, where I was born, he was born in Kenosha, where I live now. And uh, so we we did a, a reversal. But I heard about his War of the Worlds broadcast, and I actually made my own War of the Worlds type fake broadcast on a cassette player and like snuck it into the stereo when my mom's daycare kids came over. And I made one of them cry because they thought the town was getting <laughs> invaded by aliens. Not to say it was a very good broadcast. She was only four, and I was only six. But that was still, even though I got in trouble, I was like, I, I-, I need to do more of this. I took friends on graveyard walks when I was in high school. And again, the fact that I went to a religious school just made me want to get interested in all this weird stuff even more. And as time went on, you know, I I did more uh, corporate events and I used to mix like some magic and then more like mentalism Mm -hmm. and and psychic work. And I would do, um, I would do, I would do psychometry readings and shows. Like I would have people, uh, seal personal objects in envelopes, mix them up, and no joke, no trick, I would hold on to the objects, not filter, and just talk about what I felt, and I would try to give them back to the right people in the audience, and I can think of only two or three times in my career where I was off, and even if I was off, it was usually the person right next to them, so I was always a little close, and so I just started working more and more on that, and it, it kind of uh, the, the, it sounds crazy, but the weirder I got, the more people wanted to book. They, me they wanted more, and you remind me, events. Joe. You remind me of a young Uri Geller. He, yes, he every I, time he's on I, our show, he, he talks like you do. Yes, I had the chance to interview him on my on my radio show, and he was a he was a childhood hero growing up. Uh, I read about him a lot and, and learned how to uh, bend spoons. He actually, when he uh, when he was on my radio show. He, he did some research on me and saw a clip of me bending spoons on WGN News, and he actually said, Joe, you bend spoons better than I do. <laughs> like, oh, my God. What Talk about a, a dream come true with that. Um, yeah, he's quite a guy. Just, yeah, absolutely. Now, absolutely. pre-COVID, Joe, pre-COVID, you were doing a lot of performances at haunted locations. Are you still mm-hmm. doing them now? Are you able to, even though COVID's all over the place? I have been able to do, we're at the point we're at now, I can bring private groups. I'm, I'm gearing up uh, for uh, the next season to bring private groups into uh, the studio where I'm at. Uh, the uh, One of the places I've worked did just uh, change over to new owners, and I have not talked to them about anything uh, in uh, as far as the future goes with that. However... Uh, the Dole Mansion in Crystal Lake, Illinois, was built in 1864 by Charles Dole. Uh, he wasn't the pineapple guy. He was a wheat distributor. Everyone thinks it was Dole Pineapples. And he uh, sold the property to his son-in-law for one, uh, for one dollar. He really liked his son-in-law. And in the 1920s, 1922 to be precise, 
Mrs. Lou Ringling of Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey fame purchased the property shortly after her husband Al passed away. And she extended the mansion to have these little, almost like uh, little hotel rooms or uh, little getaways for the country club and everything. And eventually she did have to sell it and move back to Baraboo. She said in one of her uh, journals that she put her heart and soul into that place and it broke her heart when she had to sell it. So the Dole Mansion is now an arts park. There's painters, there's musicians, there's actually people who do um, energy work there as well. Uh, there's people who do uh, massage therapy and healing arts, as well as more traditional painters and photographers and musicians. And I've been a resident artist there since 2014. I have a studio on the second floor that just is cozy enough to seat 13 people. So pre-COVID, I was doing 13-person mind-reading shows in this space every week, and I had a couple different shows. One was themed on different mystics from throughout history. One was themed on time travel and, and uh, uh, the idea of you know quantum mechanics and how it relates to areas of the mind, like maybe you don't have to be psychic to predict the future. Maybe you could just go forward three minutes, see what happens, and then come back to the present to make a prediction. And then they also had a theater downstairs where I would do shows on Halloween night as well as flashlight tours of the Dole Mansion. And people experienced everything there from cold spots to uh, shadowy figures when they took photos. In fact, if uh, people want to uh, see a photo it's uh, of the shadow man that I, that I caught on camera uh, during the daytime, actually. Normally these things happen at night. This happened during the day. Uh, they can go to uh, JoeDiamondLife.com and under news they can click on the tab is uh is the dole mansion haunted and they will see a photo that i took and this is not digitally altered uh this was not in the photo or in the in the space as i took it it's actually i'm at the bottom of a staircase taking photos i'll be honest it was for my instagram feed because that house looks really really cool and i was just mindlessly taking photos and it wasn't until i was swiping through them that i noticed that there was this shadowy figure in one of them on the spiral staircase now, no one died in the building. However, in the uh, late uh, 1930s and 40s, it was a seminary, and they had church services there, and they would often have funerals on the third floor. Well, the way to get to the third floor meant they had to carry these coffins oh. up the spiral staircase. They actually had to carve divots into the wall so they could pivot. They ever drop one? Up the staircase. Uh, I don't believe they ever dropped one, but if you've learned any kind of folklore, it all says don't take a coffin upstairs, I mean, let alone a spiral staircase. So you can imagine why that's such a hot spot in the house if, you know, even just one coffin was carried up there, let alone dozens over the years from having funerals there on the third floor. So even though no one died there, um, the closest thing that to someone dying there was Charles Dole's son died due to a hunting accident about three acres away from the house back when they owned 12 acres in each direction. Uh, so where he died is now someone's backyard, but we won't tell them that. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.